All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where we talk about dating, culture, society, and relationships from a male and female perspective. Today, we are talking about accountability. We are talking about what to do in a situation when people's actions don't match their words, which seems to be a very common phenomenon happening to a lot of people. And we're going to get into that at the three minute mark. And just before we do a few announcements and sponsors to talk about, this podcast is sponsored by Comedy Untamed. Comedy Untamed has shows in Sydney, in Melbourne, plus regularly in Newcastle and Geelong. We're soon opening up some shows in Brisbane. So if you want to see a great stand-up comedy night, plus improv, plus off-the-cuff, roasting the audience, the audience roasting the comedians, it's a lot of fun. Uh, go to ComedyUntamed.com. By the time this podcast comes out, there's a big end-of-year showcase that uh, is happening in Sydney on the 30th of November, and that's going to see the best comedians from each of the states come in, do their best 10 minutes, and there'll be a winner hosted by me. It's going to be a big night. It's going to be a big event in Australian comedy. So we're making waves. Go to ComedyUntamed.com to get tickets for that one. And another little thing I should note is that these are comedy shows. I know uh, that uh, a lot of people who listen to this podcast for some reason come to these shows and expect it to be some kind of dialogue about relationships. No, these are stand-up comedy shows. So (laughs) stop emailing me talking about how you want to talk about relationships at the show because it's not that at all. And I don't know why you think that. Uh, Read the event description. It's pretty funny (laughs) that you think that though. Uh, This podcast is also sponsored by Crush Organics. If you want to relax, if you want to chill out, get some Crush Organics CBD oil. I've been using the pain cream every single day. It's a lifesaver for my back. I've been using it on my neck and my jaw area because sometimes I clench my jaw uh, when I'm stressed and I'm sleeping and I grind my teeth and it's not good, but the Crush Organics CBD uh, pain cream really helps with that. So go to crushorganics.com. That's crush with a K. Use the code Neil, N-E-E-L, and you get 40% off. So get yourself some of that pain cream and or CBD oil. Come to Comedy Untamed and you'll be set. You'll laugh. You'll be relaxed. Everything will be great. Um, Like I said today, we are going to be talking about accountability and whether uh, people's actions match their words. And when they don't, what do you do? So I feel like this is going to be a good one. Let's get into it. All right. I haven't spoken to you for a while, Eliza. We're recording this on Good Friday. Happy Easter. I hope uh, by the time this goes out, I hope everyone had a good Easter. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm happy it's Easter, although the days don't feel any different for me. Every day's a holiday. <laughs> Woohoo. Um, but how was your birthday? I just remembered. It was a That's week fantastic. ago. Fantastic. I'm just surprised that you said every day feels like a holiday. You're a mum. I usually hear very different <laughs> messages. I'm at that like stage where like it's so easy now. Like he's he's really cute. He's not walking, so I'm not running around. He's he's just on seven months, so he's just like this happy, smiley, squealy. All he wants to do is play. We just go on little adventures. It's like it's easy as as hell at the moment. So I'm loving it. It's That's a lot of fun. Nice. That's very nice yeah. because yeah, usually you hear about mums being overworked and stressed and yeah, not even enjoying yeah. what they're doing, sometimes even regretting what they're doing, but that oh, could be yeah. my uh, I... social media feed. So it's nice. It's refreshing to hear something like that. So yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, my birthday was amazing. It was really good. I uh, well, We had a show on the actual date of my birthday and oh. it was good. It was fun. Had a few drinks afterwards with uh, Alex and a few other comedians and then we had another show in Newcastle on the weekend, and that was killer. That was unbelievable. They laughed at everything and <laughs> got very uh, very politically incorrect at the end. So that means it was a very good show. And uh, then um, Andrew and I went out to a uh, French restaurant on Tuesday. It was very oh, nice. Wow. Uh, it's called Hubert in, in Sydney. Very, very fancy. There was a lot of uh, what looked like high-powered businessmen there, and there I was in a cotton shirt with an eyebrow slit (laughs) so I definitely felt and looked out of place and oh the prices wow I mean it was worth it but uh was it the entrees were about 30 dollars so oh uh, it was something else 
But uh, no, it was a very nice night. Very good birthday. Last year of the 20s. Let's go. I know. Yeah. How crazy. Are you, you're 28, mm. aren't you? Yeah, I'll be 29 this year as well. Mm. We're born on the same year. But you know what's funny? You're already an old soul because you always talk about the youth and the, the yeah, next generation and the young I kids. Sounds, I feel like I'm subconsciously aging myself the way I keep talking about like, oh, kids these days or back in my day. Yeah, <laughs> Just, back in my day. <laughs> yeah, 2008. <laughs> yeah, my dad listens to this podcast sometimes and he mentioned that as well. He's like, it's so like funny listening to two people in their 20s talk about things and then talk about like what it was like when they were young. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, oh, I have to stop doing is. that. We're old souls and – Hey, look, things have actually changed quite a, a bit. Um, yeah, they we have. Young, uh, to they absolutely have. Now. But it probably would be uh, cringeworthy for someone in their 50s, 60s or 70s listening to that. Yeah. But we're going to do it anyway because it makes us yeah, sound get over it, authoritative. Um, what were you going to say something about? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, when you talked about when you mentioned the going to the restaurant and being like, wearing a cotton shirt. I signed up at a um, gym the other day and their like slogan is no judgment, like that they have that everywhere. And the guy that was talking me through it was um, talking about like, oh, at this gym, we really don't judge anyone. Like he was giving me the spiel when he was showing me around. And then he goes and stands next to this kid who's like, I don't know, 18 or 19, doing some weights. And he's like, we don't care if you wear a baseball hat or like a cheap shirt from Kmart and this poor kid went so bright <laughs> in the face and it felt so bad and I was like <laughs> the irony of him saying we don't judge people and then embarrassing someone literally saying he's wearing a, sh- a cheap shirt from Kmart. <laughs> oh, it was funny. Wow, that's very um, that's like, a bit awkward, isn't it? That's Yeah, yeah and I was like I know what no you? judgment means. <laughs> Even if you're poor and homeless and a complete loser He literally loser said that it's life. okay if you're We're tall or if you're short. We don't care about your race. And I was like, I know what no judgment means. <laughs> don't worry about speaking it. Speaking about the height thing, you know, we, we did that podcast about yeah, height. Yeah. Ever since then, all these people have been commenting on my height more. So, You're joking. <laughs> yeah. That's so I funny. did a show in, in Geelong and then this lady in the audience, uh, it was myself, another com- a male comedian and another female comedian. The female comedian's about my, I may, maybe a couple centimeters shorter than me and the male comedian's yeah. probably average height for a man. Yeah. And, um, a lady, uh, we do, there's this thing in the second half they do called reverse crowd work where they ask the comedians questions. And yeah. uh, uh, probably about a middle-aged lady, she said, I want to know from, the, uh, from that guy and talking to the, the male comedian next to me, how do I be funny? Uh, but I don't want to know from him talk, p- pointing to me because he's too small. <sighs> and... I was like, okay, okay. It's not even funny. That's, That's just a weird, subtle heckle weird. because I can't say anything now, right? Because if I talk about her appearance, I immediately become the asshole. <laughs> Although I was talking to a few oh of my, my mates God. last night and they're like, no, you should have just gone after her appearance because yeah. <laughs> as uh, it, look, there was plenty of subject matter there, but you know, That's so it's weird. just a weird thing. It's just, it's just still weird. The hypocrisy of it. The, the was fact she trying that, to be funny? Like, was she thinking? She yeah, I mean, humorous? I make jokes about my. It's one of those things where you know, if some people maybe just don't get the social yeah. dynamics. So, so like, I, I obviously because it's a comedy show, you have to let everything go. Yeah. And I just, it's more yeah. the hypocrisy of it. That's all. Like, I know yeah. if I say anything, and it's always either older women or b- bigger women. That yeah. um, are always talking about a man's height, always. Yeah. yeah, it's never it's never the the ones that uh, likely wouldn't be insecure about their body. So there might be something there, but uh, yeah, it's just Rejection. weird that it, it's just suddenly <laughs> happened a lot since we did that podcast. So there you go, yeah. re-listen That's to weird that how one. It, it crops up. Not that it's related, but I, after our friend zone podcast, I had so many people messaging me about it, like. From that listen to this. It was crazy. I didn't realize that would be such an impactful podcast that was really like close to a lot of people's hearts. What was, um, was there a recurring theme from those messages? A couple said that it was like um, triggering uh, at the start of the podcast because we were kind of talking about, well, mainly me, <laughs> but about like, you know, there is a p- possibility that you could be the problem. Um, mm. And then we kind of flipped the other side as well at the in the second half talking about how sometimes it's just unlucky, he's blah, 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 blah. Um, so people talked to me about that and like 
some people were thanking me. I had one person said, um, yeah, he felt a bit triggered by it. Um, but we talked through that a bit. And then I actually had a, um, a girl message me. I think it was from that podcast as well. I'm pretty sure. Um, but she was talking about how she lives in, I'm glad over her message and I really can't remember it, but she lives in a farm or she lives very regional, rural and how like not being a hyper-feminine woman, she'd be, and she works on the farms, like consistently friend-zoned by men. Um, and she, I guess it, it aligned with her when I was saying that, yes, women don't get friend-zoned as much when you're very feminine or, you know, working towards the male gaze but when you're not you often do get friends so she said that was her complete lived experience um being a regional farm girl uh but she's a partner so oh there you go (laughs) that's good um but yeah i thought it was interesting yeah that's um that is very interesting it's uh definitely a common problem that a lot of people have yeah it just clearly really hurts it hurts so much you can tell like there's so much pain associated with that the rejection, I guess, is what it really comes down yeah. to and, and coping with that and how people cope with that and take it so personally, which, of course, you have to take it personal. Like it doesn't make sense to um, some people. And one one guy was telling me how, you know, it's really hard that he, he consistently gets friend zoned for being um, – too nice and he's like you know how you always say you better yourself and go to the gym and do this and work on yourself and he's like I've done all these things I sorted my life out I got the a really good career like I've very emotionally intelligent or maybe he didn't say those words I just put that together but you know um he's like I'm really there and present um and then I get told oh you're too nice or you're too good <laughs> Um, so he's like, That's what, what am I supposed to do there? Go back? You're too good. You're too good yeah. for me. Yeah. That's a, that's a very yeah. backhanded insult. And I was saying like, I don't know the answer to what actually is going on for that woman, but it could just be that that's like a safe thing for women to say when they reject someone. Like it's a, it's a non-controversial kind of easy way out, a cop out basically. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It could be. I mean, we can we can explore this topic further in in other podcasts. Yeah. Uh, because it's something that resonates with a lot of people, and maybe there's something we can do better in terms of how we communicate the 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 ideas. Uh, I just wonder if uh, it's it's because it, I I feel like I mentioned this on the podcast. It's it's very difficult because you're giving people contradictory ideas. You're saying, hey, don't worry mm. about, you, you know, you focus on yourself and do what makes you happy and confident. But then also here's a list of things that you need to do. And mm. if you're, if it's, if if this sort of energy of people pleasing is emanating from you, you will, it will be harder for uh, that person to develop a romantic connection. There has to be a little bit of sort of sexual tension there. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. sometimes it's it's hard to, accurately articulate how a man can get to that point yeah. because it is a lot of sort of inner knowledge of just feeling out the situation and yeah. understanding themselves and what other people might want but it is a very uh it's a very brutal situation if you're constantly being friend zone and well seemingly like this person who messaged you they're, they're doing everything that they possibly can and then society is calling you an incel and angry and resentful and it's really difficult and maybe maybe we should do a podcast about um what because we're always talking about oh this is what you should do this is how you can get to this point and maybe uh people who it's not that they necessarily don't want to date but it's just not working for them and how to be okay with that and yeah just okay. live a a nice life by yourself uh that's uh one that we could do yeah and those are definitely some ideas for future podcasts and thank you for uh the the feedback speaking of which accountability uh we're going to talk about that today um we're going to talk about people who say things and their actions don't match those words now look i don't think anyone's perfect there's definitely times in my life where i've uh uh uh, talked about a certain standard of behavior that I like to set for myself and I don't even match that every day. I, I tend to communicate the ideal and say this is what I aim for 
this is what I try to be, this is how I see myself. And I don't always live up to that. Uh, but there's definitely some people where that phenomenon is far more significant. And I remember this book I read quite a while ago, uh, that Why Buddhism is True, and there's this great passage in there that is on I one love of my that book. Instagram stories. Yeah, it's great. It's such a good book, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. uh, there's this passage that says, uh, what's more, when we recount an experience to someone, the act of recounting it changes the memory of it. So if we reshape the story a bit each time, omitting inconvenient facts, exaggerating convenient ones, we can, over time, transform our actual belief about what happened, which presumably makes it easier to convince others that our story is true. Yep. Now, isn't that scary when you when you think about yeah. just um, the subtle changes of how you've perceived certain events in your life each time you recount it to the point where you're not even consciously aware that you're changing the narrative each time and I think that's what happens in a, in a lot of relationships where no one's necessarily lying but someone has their lived experience and their sort of subjective interpretation of the events that transpired and the other person is interpret interpreting those events from a different lens and as a result, they both have different ideas of, of who might be accountable for a certain situation, for a certain issue or argument. Mm -hmm. And it can balloon into some really big fights, little things, little habits, little uh, forgetful, you know, moments of uh, forgetting to <laughs> put the toilet seat up, whatever it might be. Th those sorts of things can just balloon into something huge and people aren't taking accountability and people feel like they're being unfairly treated. And I just can't help but feel you 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 hear about this a lot, a lot in relationships. Hey, my ex didn't take any responsibility. Hey, my partner isn't saying sorry. My partner's too stubborn. It just seems to be a lot of this. And it does seem to be conflicting narratives in most instances because you hear two different sides of the story. And in all of these situations, I, I doubt that someone is 100% accountable for something that might have transpired. But if someone's maybe 80 or 90% accountable, there's an argument to say they should be the one apologizing. But uh, what what do you think about um, this? And are you hearing this a lot from, from maybe your friends and people oh, around you? Yeah. And I think that both things could be true in the sense that someone needs to take accountability but that the other person's experience can be correct as well as the way that you interpret it. Um, but that quote from the the, um, the book, um, this Buddhism is true or why Buddhism is true, I think about that a lot, like that concept a lot and how we subconsciously change narratives about what the event is or what actually occurred in order to um, you know, support our ego or protect ourselves or based on our lens or trauma. So if anyone that has trauma or is hypervigilant will perceive certain things as a threat or an insult that may or may not be, and then describe it completely different and change it. And I have like a, an example of that. I got in a fight once with, um, an ex-boyfriend of mine years ago where when we just started dating this friend, a female friend of his, who was actually a a sister of his friend, a little sister. Well, she was, you know, in her mid-20s, so not, like, young. Um, but she sent him – we were on, like, our first or second date and she sent him a nude on Snapchat and then was like, oh, my God, don't open that. And it was, like, a super seductive, like, G-banger kind of image. Um, and I just met him, so I wasn't worried. But I was like, I know how women work. She's definitely sent that intentionally. Um, and I asked him, you know, did, have you guys got together? Is there a history there? And he's like, no, oh God, no, that's my, that's my best friend's like little sister. I've never, wouldn't look at her that way. Like I genuinely think this is a mistake, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, two years into our relationship, and we were driving. He asked me to change a song. I see a message come up from her and she had said, you know, I still think about the time we kissed from two and a half years ago, which was before him and I had even met. But I was so upset that he'd lied to me about it. I was like, I have asked you this over the course of our relationship like four times about this girl because I'd met her, I sensed it, my gut intuition, all the stuff. And I was like, I knew there was something there that something could happen. I was like, I don't know why you couldn't have just told me 
something could happen before we'd ever met. Like, why lie about it? Um, anyway, did, did he, he got a bit defensive? defensive. Yeah, he got defensive. Um, I ended up leaving for a little bit. I was like, look, I'm just going to go out and clear my head. I'm going to come back in half an hour. Let's sit down and talk about it and just fix it. And then when I came back, I was walking up the stairs to our apartment and I heard him on a Skype call to his friends because they lived overseas. And he had just like completely changed the narrative and he was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, man. Like Eliza's like crazy. Like she doesn't let me, she doesn't want me hanging out with girls or talking to girls. And like, I was so confused because at that point he, all his friends were women. Like he had more women friends than guy friends. And I like that about him. Like I thought that was kind of like nice and I met them all. I didn't have an issue with anyone except one girl that I had sensed that kind of thing. And I just thought that's so weird. He's saying that. And then he was exaggerating so much. Like he didn't even talk about the actual issue that happened. Instead, he just kept saying like, oh, Liza's like, she stormed out of the house. She was screaming. She like threw things. I've never thrown something in my entire life ever. Like I've never even screamed at someone ever in my whole life. And I just like gobsmacked. But what was really interesting, I ended up walking in and I was like, Hey, like (laughs) I can hear what you're talking. Like, can we have a chat? Whatever. Um, and his friend was like, Oh yeah, I'll leave you to it. But what was weird was that after that event, like six months later and we resolved it, whatever, got over it. He brought it up again and he was retelling the story as in the way that he had told his friend. And I was like, hang on, like, I'm so confused. None of that happened. That never, that conversation never happened. Like he'd almost got it confused. Like he was, I don't know how to even explain it, but basically he forgot what actually happened and was remembering the story that he kept repeating to his friends because he kept talking to them about it in the days after we had even resolved it, like keeping up this kind of facade of what actually what never happened. Um, so it was weird. And then I noticed that happened a few times throughout a relationship where I was like, am I like, this is before gaslighting was a word, <laughs> like a, a common thing or that people knew what that was. But I was like, am I going crazy? And I ended up having to, when we had an argument, I would have to like, not to be manipulative, but for my own like sanity, I would write down who said exactly what, at what time, and anything else I could remember, who did he speak to or whatever. And then when he'd bring it up three months later and say something completely different, I'd be like, that's not what happened. That is literally not what I ever said. That's not what, I've never done that in my life. I've never done that to anyone. But he was just making up lies to his friends overseas to make him feel like he was victimized or something. It was so odd. Um, And then I did see like, you know, later on that relationship, this is that partner I've talked about before that was, he was pretty unhinged um, with his mental health, but there were elements of that coming in with other people where he'd be like feeling like he was targeted and all the stuff. And I was like, didn't that happen or did it not? But I, yeah. Is it, when you challenge those people, they get even more on the defensive and just reinterpret the narrative uh, in their favor some more. And they think anyone who challenges them is against them and it's impossible to get through to people like that. Exactly. And then I'd be like, hey, that's not what happened. And then he'd be like, see, this is what I mean. You don't believe me. You just do all this shit. And then he would get like so escalated. He'd start, uh, he got like, he would just start like basically self-harming in front of me. So then it like diverted the crisis into something else and then you'd forget about it completely. But it was so wild. And anyway, the moral of the story is that that's an extreme example. But people do that consistently where you might go – and I even saw actually I opened TikTok this morning and the first video that popped up was you, um, one of your – like a snippet of one of your live shows – where you're talking about how when you have an argument with your partner and then you tell your friends something and she's telling her friends and you're telling your friends the side, you know, the important bits of your side of the story. Um, and But it's so true though because and then yeah, over time those are the things that you remember, like yes. the exaggerated parts that you tell other people because when you speak about it, that's what sticks into your memory. Like you know how they say the most the, the best way to learn something new or learn something or memorise something is to teach it to someone else. So when you're telling someone else a narrative about something that wasn't true 
your memory shifts and it almost becomes your new narrative. And that's why taking accountability in the moment and knowing when you've made a mistake and naming what that mistake is, is so important, not just for other people, but also for yourself. And I truly believe that accountability is a practice that benefits you wholly and completely and that it's strongly linked to like a lack of accountability I believe is strongly linked to unhappiness in people um and I guess we'll go into that later like you're not just accountable for things that you say and do but you're also accountable to an extent for what happens in your life like who you hang out with what substances you take what you do on a day-to-day basis obviously there are certain things that people have that are there are deficits or barriers and, you know, you can't be, you're not accountable when someone dies in your family and that happens in your life or whatever. But for majority of things, you are accountable. So it, and then, and then it's so nuanced because it's like, well, I have severe trauma or I have PTSD or I have attachment issues or severe mental health issues. How can, am I truly accountable if, these are what causing me like in the in the way that my ex had really, really severe PTSD and anxiety and depression um, that he would interpret things as a threat. And I, at the end, I thought, or after we broke up, I reflected back thinking maybe he genuinely believed those things, not just because he was repeating lies to other people, oh, he but probably because did. He, he, probably, he was, he yeah. felt so under threat immediately. If I ever questioned him in the most gentle way ever, he would just feel like he's being attacked um, because it was a trigger. Well, it's a defense so, mechanism. If someone's yeah. been constantly criticizing you and you perceive yeah. it to be in an unfair way, your only way to uh, fight against that is to reshape the narrative and say, well, they're just yeah. unfairly criticizing me or the, the situation I'm in is an unfair situation. And it can, I'm sure you can uh, draw a line to something that has happened to someone earlier in their life or. Yeah, uh, maybe they've just been socialized poorly. And look, a very unfortunate and politically incorrect observation I've found is that often people with underlying mental health issues are the ones likely to change narratives a lot. That's mm-hmm. happened in my life quite a bit, and it's uh, it's it's not a comfortable observation, but I can't help but feel that it's true. And in in I I I, I would assume it's some kind of psychological defense mechanism at play and in a situation like that when you've perceived something to be not even subjectively real objectively real if we're talking about something like uh okay he didn't think it was an issue to uh message uh someone that he'd previously had a casual encounter with and there hadn't been a clear communication of whether someone was comfortable with that or not then okay, people probably have a right to say, well, hang on, you never actually told me you were upset with this or vice versa. But if you've clearly asked, uh, hey, did you have a thing with that person? And he's clearly said no. I mean, that's... It's a lie. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if (laughs) there could be a discussion about, well, I I still think it's fine to message her. I mean, if she's sending nudes, that seems a bit ridiculous. But there's a discussion to be had there. But that just seems like a blatant lie. Yeah, And then nothing uh, makes me lose respect for people faster than people who just lie, just lie through their teeth and then they just completely reshape it and say, oh, no, I didn't say that or I sort of said that or they're just molding reality to suit themselves and to avoid any kind of accountability. It's, 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 that is a trigger for me. It's, it's the most frustrating thing. And, and then it becomes manipulative as well because it's like, no, that's not what happened. You know, you've you've yeah. interpreted it wrong or not correctly. But I think, you know, it's some people when you're in the habit of lying or saying little white lies, it's an extremely difficult habit to break. And it starts in childhood when you think about kids that had to lie to their parents, like, mm. did you do this? Did you watch TV? Well, did you do your homework in order to protect themselves from someone blowing up or getting someone upset or missing out on dinner it starts in childhood and when that when you learn that habit to I can I need to lie to protect myself or to keep the peace people will do that all the time and like one of my other ex-boyfriends is the most genuine loveliest person you anyone has ever met everyone loves this guy but he would say white lies constantly and it drove me nuts because no one ever knew but it was because he was so like 
it was so important for him that everyone was happy and the peace was kept. So he would just kind of like twist things a little bit constantly to make sure no one ever got their feelings hurt or whatever. And um, sure. a, a kid I worked with once, he was he was 12 and at school I mean, he had obviously severe trauma and um, he had like an episode in his school and he punched um, an 11-year-old girl straight in the face. And when I went to pick him up and talk about what happened, he just – lied about it. He just said, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And he, he hurt a lot of other people. He really hurt um, a, sc- a male school teacher there. And he admitted to that, but he never, ever in the two years I worked with him ever admitted that he punched a little girl in the face because there was so much shame for him associated with that because of the violence that he witnessed against his mother growing up. Um, that he could never admit that he had perpetrated that. So he was using it as like a protecting himself. And I, I think I, I feel like he genuinely believes that he didn't do it. He just convinced himself of it. Um, well, what did even they after, say? In, oh, sorry. Go on. I was going to say even after he'd gone into like intensive therapy and um, the therapist would tell me, you know, he still won't admit that that occurred but he would talk about all the other violent crimes that he committed against men or boys easy wheezy happy days Hmm. never against the girl though yeah uh if if there's been a third person or some sort of uh source that can verify what exactly happened and then someone's still lying then yeah you know that there's something else going going on there yeah in those situations, such as many high-profile court cases, uh, the media will present one narrative or let's let's bring it back to just a, someone in our social group, someone, our friend will present one narrative and then you, you believe them. You They yeah. usually articulate that in a very emotional way and it sounds very dramatic and you don't, you, you don't want to question it. And then suddenly you get a different uh, picture of what happened from the other person or the other party. And then first you think, oh, no, that person must be lying. And then evidence comes out and then you're confused because then the person you might be closer to has been lying to you or, I mean, obviously Johnny Depp Amber Heard is the uh, perfect example of this. One person saying one thing, other person saying the other. Who the hell even knows what happened at this point? And... A lot of relationship issues seem to be like that where uh, everyone's got their narrative and we're, you know, in very vulnerable positions here in romantic partnerships and uh, we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to admit to ourselves that we could be at fault and that we could have done something wrong and there's pent up resentment from other things and people often have a through line of what might have caused them to do something that they know was uh, not, not ideal but they will justify it by saying, well, you did X, Y, Z, and that's why I did yeah. ABC. And it's uh, it can become this complicated mess that that just spells the end of a relationship. And it's sad. Yeah, and- you know, I've had, I've had uh, I, I, I'll be, I'll take accountability and say in earlier relationships, I've exaggerated certain facets of my personality or said things about yeah. myself that weren't, it's not like they were lies, but they weren't, uh, entirely true um just to make myself seem better at something or that i've uh you had more experience than i actually did um but at the same time yeah i've had uh ex-partners for at least from my from my perception do the exact same thing to me could i have articulated myself better could i have done things differently maybe but i don't think i don't even think that thought goes through some of these people's heads where they yeah. at least think, okay, what did I do something wrong? Did they even enter, do they even entertain the idea that they could have done something wrong? Because yeah, the the inverse of what we're talking about is that there are situations where people are expecting you to take accountability, and then you think about it, and then you talk to your friends, and then you talk to people who you think would be an unbiased source, and you try to explain the situation in as objective a way as possible, and they will tell you, oh, no, I don't think you're at fault here. I don't think you need to take accountability. So then you don't. And then the other person gets upset. And that that's at least a situation where you've, you've, you know, you've found third parties, you've found people who can 
give you honest feedback and you've thought about it and you've entertained the idea that, hey, I could be at fault here. But I just think there's people who just never think they've done anything wrong ever. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a scary yeah. thought that so many people like that exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think it, it, the examples that I was talking about before are so extreme that it may not, when you're listening to this, it may not seem like, well, that's not me, but it can be so subtle as well, the lack of accountability. Like, for example, if I insulted you and then um, you get your feelings hurt and I was like, Neil, I was clearly joking, like, come on. And then I just, you know, all of a sudden I'm exempt from having to take accountability because I claimed that it was sarcastic or I was joking. And people use that to try to diffuse it all the time. Like, I wasn't serious or that was a joke or don't be so, like, serious like why are you so critical why are you so sensitive um turning it and flipping it on the other person is such a second nature to a lot of people and even I know that in when I was had a boyfriend when I was 18 19 20 I was like that as well where I didn't want to take accountability for things that upset him and to be fair he was an extremely sensitive person um, that would get upset everything I ever joked about in my life but it doesn't matter like if that's hurt someone you got to say like I'm really sorry like oh I can see that's hurt your feelings you don't even have to say you're right I'm wrong you can just acknowledge I see that my action or what I said offended you and hurt your feelings um and apologize for that or understand that this is yeah it's me it was my choice it was my words it was my actions that had this impact I need to be accountable for that in the same that way that you will take credit for your success um, or good th- or things that turn out well in your life you need to take accountability for things that don't and that's it's linked in if you go your entire life refusing to take accountability for anything you're not going to have healthy, sustainable relationships or being uh, living in authentic, genuine kind of space or or, or in, in a genuine relationship when you're just going to tell someone, actually, you're wrong. I'm really sorry. That's not what happened. It's a really hard thing. And that's why I, I say that I and I believe that accountability is a practice. And I know that I had to practice that so hard. And now it's so second nature to me. And I genuinely believe it's the reason why Adrian and I literally don't fight. Because if he ever said, hey, this bothered me, I'm not going to question it. <laughs> I'm not going to question what has upset him. I'm going to take accountability for it. If those words came out of my mouth or I did, in fact, do that action, I'm going to say sorry. Like it's as simple as that to resolve something. And obviously, like you said, it does go much bigger than just relationships. It comes into our work, um, uh, politics and things like that. And I think for work, being on both sides and being, you know, a manager, when I I know someone has- Can I say something really quickly? Just with the situation you're talking about with uh, with Adrian and and you now practicing accountability, I will say there is a point at which- someone can use the other person could be manipulative and they could be using your empathy that's a good to control you and and we could we we can talk about that when you finish your uh thought but i just wanted to make that no i think that's a good thing to actually follow on with now because that's probably really essential especially when you're in a relationship with someone that could be manipulative or even just dominant or uses um more even I find that people that are quite like for example like me that can really articulate their feelings and experiences in relationships can so easily get and navigate someone to be like hey actually you're at fault here and I need you to take responsibility for it so obviously there's not anything every single thing that someone is bothered about may or may not be your fault, but it's a hard, it's a, one of those things that's actually quite difficult because you need to consider like, what's this person's personality? Are they a securely attached person or are they emotionally intelligent? Is this relationship overall like fair and just and equal? Is there an imbalance in who's right and who's wrong or who names who to be at fault. And I I think that a a key to this as well and taking accountability is that do you need someone to tell you 
you should be taking accountability or responsibility or do you understand when this is a moment I need to take accountability, um, if that makes sense? Yeah. No, I think that's a, mm. that's a good strategy to employ and having – Look, your friends are always going to be biased, but mm. if you're confident your friends will call you out yep. on issues where you are in the wrong, that's a good friend. Mm. Uh, and then maybe even, you know what, a situation where you're just completely unsure of whether you're in the wrong or your partner might be in the wrong, it, it could be somewhere where you do ask Reddit or something like that. Yeah. Because yeah. that's where you get an honest, unbiased answer. Yeah. And just make sure you articulate the situation in as objectively true a way as possible. We're always going to have our biases and amplify little things here and there, but as much as possible, just here are the cold, hard facts of the situation and 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 – this is how I felt. This is how they say they felt. What should I do? Am I the asshole? Am I in the wrong here? Yeah, that's the best one to go on. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard though, go isn't on, it? Am I the asshole? It's hard because your your natural response is always, "Oh, hey, I'm not." It's it's to be defensive. You you almost have to fight against that because the natural response anytime someone has said to me, "Hey, this upset me," or "This was wrong." I can feel it. There's a little part of me that wants to say, "Oh, shut up!" <laughs> but you gotta, yeah, you gotta just avoid that a little bit and think, "Oh, yeah. okay." Talk, tell me a bit more about it. Or, or before you don't have to take accountability immediately. You can say, "Okay, let me let me process it for it. a while, yeah. and then um, and then we can address this in a few days." I think that's a good way yeah. of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, reflect on it. And I think the other side of like when you were saying like, oh, come on, like the eye roll, the other side of it is when someone questions you and you go into it like immediate victimhood um, and refusal to take accountability because I've had it harder or you don't understand or this is what's going on for me. Um, and that's when it becomes difficult when there are obviously certain things in life that when you make mistakes or you don't follow through with certain actions you know like it, it's hard it, it's really hard because I was thinking yeah. about this before how when I've definitely been the type of person and sometimes I am where I get ideas and I get passionate about something and I'm like I want to do this I want to do this I want to do that like I was saying to Adrian this morning because I signed up at a gym literally only yesterday and I'm like we'll go to the gym I'm gonna get my mom over on Saturdays to babysit we'll go together we'll do this we'll do that and then what happens when I lose my motivation in a week's time or mom doesn't babysit am I not following through do I need to be accountable and apologetic for that um, in the same way that when there are errors and issues in relationships a lot of people find it to re in order to resolve it, obviously you have to talk about it and you make a plan for action. And if you don't follow through, you're at fault. But also there is an 100% expectation that anything that comes to conflict resolution needs to be followed through or anything that is related to a relationship issue must be followed through. But then why do we have so much leniency on on commitments that we make that aren't based around our relationship. For example, let's go to the gym or let's do this or booking in tentative brunch plans and then not actually going to see that person. And there's so much more leniency around that. Like how how do we excuse human error in this aspect but not in that aspect? So it does become like quite muddled, although I am obviously of the camp that, you know, your relationship takes a lot of priority and in order to maintain a, a healthy, long and secure relationship, we do need to take responsibility for when we don't follow through. But, you know, we've talked about this a lot when it's like someone says, yeah, I agree, I I leave the house too untidy, I'm going to clean up more or I'm going to show more affection and then you resolve back to your, your previous habits. So it's taking accountability. It's more than just acknowledge it and validating it for the other person and making a plan. It's actually the follow through as well is part of that accountability. Because what people often want and they only feel validated if they get this is full accountability and full responsibility and a full apology. But in those situations where, like I said, you might feel 
80% responsible for something, it can be it can be a bit tricky uh, to to give that full apology or or uh, articulate full accountability in in situations like that. And I think yeah. a, a lot of situations are actually like that, where where one party is sort of eighty percent responsible for something that might have occurred, and one party might be twenty percent responsible. And yeah, you know, I did. I I when I've had other instances like that in my life, I've talked to friends and and family and and people who've actually sometimes said, "No, actually, you you this is on the other person, or this is this is not that much on you." And it's it's a minefield at times, isn't it? These sorts of interpersonal issues yeah. of accountability. It's uh, yeah. it's almost like uh, the, who was it? It's a Tom Hardy quote or something where he said, "Look, I couldn't be bothered. I'm sorry." <laughs> and what he's saying is that okay, I don't want to necessarily fight to have my narrative heard at this point. I acknowledge that hurt has been caused, and I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. And yeah, yeah. I mean, as long as that's <laughs> within reason and you don't become a doormat, yeah. but. Yeah. Uh it's it's one of those situations where yeah, it might just be better. Uh otherwise you end up resenting someone for the rest of your life and feeling like they never fully understood you and this can happen in professional environments. I mean, how many business partnerships have broken up due to disputes of money because some per- one person felt like they were entitled to a larger share of the pie compared to someone else? Uh so many, countless. How many legal disputes, civil disputes you you owe me X amount in this civil case. I mean, the whole friendly Geordie's Barillaro thing, what is defamation and how much does someone have to be accountable if it is an unjust law, but then if they actually have broken a law? what what? These are always such big minefields and I think I'm the sort of person who thinks, okay, in my heart of hearts I feel like, all right, this is far more complicated than it's made out to be, but okay, I'm sorry. Is that bad? <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't think it is. Uh, it's. I agree that it's one of those things that if you feel that you're always in the right in every circumstance, there is probably a you're not taking accountability when you should be. And I've spoken about this before, but I always reflect back on how I find it really interesting that when I worked in child protection and when I was in like um, less affluent areas in Western Sydney and people that were struggling financially and um, with housing, things like that, if there was abuse um, towards children or their wives or partners or whatever, the men were much more willing to just acknowledge it happened. And they're not always apologetic or... um, or willing to change, but they always acknowledge, yeah, this happened, yeah, I punched her, or yeah, I did this to the kid. Um, but when I was in more affluent areas in the northern beaches and Mossman, it was interesting to see that the men that were really successful and super wealthy and super rich, they'd get caught out and reported for, like, really intense abuse, and did they ever once take any accountability or acknowledge it at all? No, and even when there was evidence and the court, you know, has gone, come come and gone, so it's no longer a matter of protecting yourself legally, everything's already done, they still refuse to take accountability in so many of these cases. Um, and I remember one where he had, she was holding a baby, his, his wife, and this guy, the husband, um, had kicked her in the back and she fell over onto the baby and she broke her arm or something. It was a bit intense. Um, and he he never admitted that he did it in the years that I worked with him. But then right at the very end he was like, well, she said this and she shoved past me when she was holding the baby. She Her shoulder brushed past him basically. So he retaliated and he thought that he was like she instigated it. So therefore... I didn't do anything wrong. And it's just like this delusion to protect his ego and his identity and that need for power and control. And it's just like the amount of just cognitive dissonance and lack of awareness to himself. 
And maybe he was aware and he was just like, I'm not going to admit it to you or to anyone else, which is a very good chance, obviously, that happened. He knew what he did on countless occasions. But it's just fascinating how I could see, I saw this happening in my work a lot more within highly affluent and wealthy people compared to those that aren't. And yet the people that that are more wealthy and affluent are also, that does coincide in many cases, I would say in the majority with higher levels of emotional intelligence because they had less childhood trauma, they had more access to resources, higher levels of education. So they were emotionally intelligent compared to these people that were living in poverty and grew up in extremely abusive homes. But yet the accountability was what was what switched over on two sides. Yeah, I'd imagine to, to be successful in certain industries you need a degree of self-aggrandizement where you yeah genuinely believe you can be at the helm of a large corporation exactly. and you deserve a yeah. salary of a million dollars a year and 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 in some situations that's all justified but you have to have a a, a degree of idealism and almost self-obsession yeah. Yeah. Uh, to to that for it then to become a self-fulfilling prophecy where you act in a way that's uh congruent with those ideals and you're then handpicked as the next ceo or whatever it might be and so surprising when you first told me that but then i thought about it more and it it does make some sense that especially in highly wealthy areas uh there'd be They'd be so emotionally intelligent that they'd know how to manipulate others with their charisma and emotions. And that's a scary thought because that's someone you're not even aware that you're being manipulated Yeah, manipulating you. So, uh, you know, all the people on reality TV get found out very quickly because they're not very good manipulators. But the good manipulators, you're not even aware. You're probably thinking, wow, he's, he's such a nice person. So that's a scary thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, in, in any big business and uh, sort of CEO positions, there's a lot of that kind of ego and. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is. Power, like when it's your power. identity, it helps you. Like when you were saying before, like if you say, and this is something that I've been trying to practice myself, where I always say, you know, uh, I'm I'm lazy or I'm I'm unfit. I've been saying that for ages, and I was like, God, I have to stop saying that because the more I say that, the more in depth that just becomes. You know, my personality and my being. I'm not actually a lazy person at all. Um, I'm definitely not fit, <laughs> but I'm not lazy, and I'm not. Um, you know, I am a proactive person. I'm always doing things. I'm always passionate. Project. I got to stop, kind of putting that as my personality type because that's what I'm going to start emulating. And if I keep saying you're, I'm an unfit person, like, you know, we talk about law of attraction and self-fulfilling prophecies and guess what? I'm going to remain an unfit person. And that is the exact power of what this is the definition basically of manifestation is it's not a hippy dippy witchcraft kind of you know, idea. It's literally that what you say you are or what you say you have you enact. So they say, you know, if you want to be a fit person, start acting like a fit person or start telling yourself you're a fit person. If you want to be successful, start dressing for success. Even when I was talking about this with you ages ago, but like when I do these podcasts or even if I have anything on that day, that's, I would say like important or work, I get up and I do my makeup and that's like my anchor for I've got to do something productive today. If I don't have my makeup done, I'm not doing anything productive. Even for this pocket, I don't wear perfume since I've had Remy because I don't, I don't know. I feel like I don't want baby inhaling perfume. <laughs> I just, whatever. Fair but enough. when I do this podcast, I put perfume on. It's the only time I ever wear perfume. You can't smell it. No one can smell it, but it's just that part of That's my head that I'm like, I'm extra productive when I'm wearing perfume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I wear, I wear colored you know, shirts it's, when it's I do podcast. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. Just put on a facade of professionalism because I think it's important, particularly with these topics that we're broaching. Uh, I yeah. think the CEO and and wealthy person not taking accountability situation is a good off ramp to talk about 
politicians or ideologies or cultures that say this is what we stand for and then their actions are counterintuitive to that. So, for example, uh, there's talk about how men on, on social media say they want a traditional woman and they want someone with a low body count but then all the people they follow on Instagram are yeah. models in, in, in bikinis and and. Vice versa, there's uh, a, a, a lot of women who say, I want someone who's emotionally available and got his life together and uh, lists off certain attributes and then that's not the person they go for. There are uh, political parties that say, this is what we stand for, these are our values, and then they just do something completely different to that. Uh, there are, uh, you know, just say progressive culture or, or conservative culture that will say certain things this is what we champion these are what we stand for and then they just act in a way completely different to either just maintain their power or just because it's inconvenient to stick to their values at a certain time like free speech is a big one all these conservative parties talk about free speech and corporations having as much freedom as possible and then as soon as a corporation goes woke they put limits on them and yeah. similarly on the on the on the left side of politics if they're talking about say anti-discrimination and we support people of color but then if a person of color has even deviates from progressive orthodoxy slightly well they have internalized white supremacy and they're discarded and 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 they're cast they're cast aside in a very brutal sort of way and similarly um i think i talked about this a few podcasts ago where there are certain policies that are in favor of one race but actually are detrimental to another race. And to me, you can't say you're in favor of minorities or people of color. If you're doing that, just be honest and say, hey, we're, we're in favor of this particular minority. And don't, to me, then it seems like it, it's a lie. It, yeah. It's your actions not matching your, your words. Um, a big one is... <laughs> Well, obviously someone like Trump, he said all these things, he hardly did anything. But the one thing he did do was the putting conservative judges in the Supreme Court. And ironically enough, he uh, he stuck to his word on that. Um, but then there was talk about how the, the, the Obamas came out and said how horrible this uh, repealing of Roe v. Wade was. But then when he was elected, he said he was going to codify it into federal law and he never did that. And he had the opportunity to do that. And there were people asking him to take accountability there. I mean, the, the Liberal Party in Australia, it's in their name, Liberal, and then they create a bureaucracy where uh, there's just 20 people who get to decide what is considered bullying on the internet, which doesn't yeah. sound very free speech to me. It's just all these instances of yeah. uh, political parties that say certain things and politicians, and then they just don't they do not do it. I mean, um, employers who, who will say, this is this is what... Uh, this is what we're aiming for and this is what your role is and what you're working towards. And then that never yeah. never comes to fruition. And at the, at the very least, I wish people would would be would have more humility in when they express those ideals and say, hey, look, this is what I'm hoping we can get to. This yeah. is what I try to champion as best as I possibly can. Because then, okay, well then you're not lying because you're saying just in those in, in just the the subtle way that you're talking about it you're saying i'm i'm aiming for this i'm trying to get to this but as soon as you make a promise well the pressure's on because if you don't keep that promise you're a liar whereas yeah. if you say hey i'm going to do the best i possibly can to achieve this i'm going to do the best i possibly can to um live up to these standards that i've set for myself well then I trust that person a lot more it, it, just in the subtle way they're describing that thing there because they're, they're congruent with their words and their actions. Yeah, it's, it's so hard because I'm just trying to think about it like even on a smaller scale when, say, for example, you, a boss in a corporate role is saying like, you know, I, I'm going to make sure that every fortnight you get a rostered day off. And then it doesn't happen because, you know, whatever, the CEO denies it, something like that. When someone says, I'm going to make this happen, you'd be so excited. But then I know like in my role, for example, in my organization, if my boss had said, 
uh, you know, it's my dream that we have a roster day off. I'd roll my eyes and be like, yeah, right. <laughs> like that, how are you going to do that? Like, you know, but what it's if, so what true. What if you said something like, I'm going to do the best I can to get you a roster day off every two weeks? Yeah, yeah. I don't, even then I just, I, I guess it depends on also that, the history of that person like are sure. there is there a background of false promises or someone close to me recently was um has been going to her job saying like I really want to do change my role slightly into this position and they kept saying yes we we really want this for you yes we're going to make this happen yes um over and over and over again her boss kept saying that and she was like nothing's happening it's been six months I've brought it up three times they haven't changed it she went back to her boss and was like hey is this going to happen or not like what's the plan can we put something in place and the boss was like yeah yeah I'm I'm working on it we're going to make it happen like we really want you in this kind of thing and then another like three months passed nothing happened and she ended up just going to the boss above that boss and they knew nothing about it at all. They'd never even heard of it. And they immediately that day, they put her into this different role and was like, oh, why didn't you say so? Of course we'll do it. So it then it becomes this like thing is like how it's more than that is, yeah, I, I guess like you said, like how do we do we trust this person um, and how does someone elicit trust? Because she that reflects on that saying that her boss that initially was making all these promises to her was a type of person that was really like bubbly, enthusiastic, very for the team, wanted it to make it happen. But then life got in the way or work got too busy and it just kept being put on the back burner consistently. It wasn't out of malice. It was just out of they hadn't been proactive enough to make a role change for someone else because they're managing something that's really chaotic already. Um, But yeah, it's politics and things like that and things on a larger scale are so hard because you want that guarantee and you want that follow through. But I think what would be more, I guess, impactful is it saying like, yeah, this my intent is this is what's going to happen and I'm going to do everything in my power by doing ABC in order to make this happen. But then, like you were saying, but then if it doesn't occur – to explain or acknowledged, I know I promised this or I know that I said this was going to happen and it didn't happen and this is why, if it's, you know, within the legal realms to explain why it couldn't happen or what occurred. But, yeah, then it kind of brings into this other thing of how important trust is when we rely on people to take accountability and we rely on people to be honest and we rely we have to take people at their word when they're saying, like, I'm going to do all these actions, we just have to – we have no option but to either trust or not trust them. That's it. Or sit back yeah. and wait. Yeah. And I think the moral of all of what we've talked about today is you have to judge people on their actions and not their words because yeah, people, I mean, we, we, we've admitted it, people's words are often idealistic and are not necessarily realistic. Yeah. Whereas people's actions That's a good way to are a better yeah. indicator of, what you can expect from them. And I think the same can be said about a, a larger scale organizations like a workplace, uh, an extended family, a country, an ideology, a political party. You have to judge them on their track record and on the actions that they've performed. And if you don't, you can very easily get swindled because there are some smooth talkers out there and there are some very charismatic people who aren't very productive but they're charismatic and they make you feel good and you believe all the things that they say but they just take you along for the ride and skim everything off the top and there's no follow-through and every time you uh, question them on their lack of follow-through they make a plethora of excuses without taking any accountability and uh, that's why, yeah, it's, uh, best to be, uh, uh, carefully, uh, well, you know, reasonably cautious of people who sound good without having seen their actions. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, it's hard. And I think another, I guess it's a bit too late to go into this, but another kind of aspect of this is what is 
our responsibility in telling someone that they should be taking accountability? And do we need to be naming that to someone or are we hoping that that just happens on its own? Um, Because although I do believe that, yes, it's not your responsibility necessarily to tell someone this is a, a time and place where you need to take accountability, but at the same time I feel that when someone is not in the habit of that or unaware, actually naming it to that person can be extremely um, beneficial for you, but mainly for them. Like in that example I was saying where people might diffuse something, being like, I was joking, explaining that regardless of if you whether or not it was a joke or sarcastic or what is irregardless to it being, you know, like offensive to me or a betrayal or whatever. Like this is a moment where I think you should be taking accountability. I think it's fair to say that and it's not forcing someone to. It's just stating this, you know, offering a learning moment almost to another person. Um, but then again, it comes down to that self-awareness of we need to be aware of what we need to take be accountable for. Um, the joke one can be complicated not being a <laughs> because, well, I mean, being a comedian, I... Yeah, there's a whole other world in that, I, isn't yeah, there? I mean, yeah. I, I would I would have a very different opinion of yeah, someone true. who's close to me in an interpersonal relationship saying, hey, this thing you said hurt my feelings versus someone in a crowd saying, very this true. thing hurt my feelings. So <laughs> yeah, uh, there's, there's there's a nuance to, to that one. And I think, I guess I think we, levels, did, we did an episode on apologizing and there was a difference between saying I'm sorry and I apologize because I saying I'm sorry is acknowledging that someone else was hurt and just having that empathetic awareness and human connection but then saying I apologize is taking responsibility for that hurt and those are two different things Mm. and yeah I agree I think you can say hey I'm sorry I can see that you're hurt however I I uh feel like you're you're asking too much of me or you're being unreasonable with your request and and these are tough conversations to have but i think uh there's there's room to have them in a respectful way as long as we just sort of avoid the 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 trap of getting defensive and attacking the other person it's sometimes easier said than done but yeah nothing ever works out when someone gets on the defensive immediately and starts insulting the other person so uh, if you have the awareness to just notice that and if you need to take some time, talk to other people, just write down your thoughts, write down what you might want to say to that person and don't react. There's definitely been times in my life where I have and um, it's regretful. So uh, calm down if you need to or uh, I think talking to talking to third parties and external sources about whether you're being reasonable or unreasonable in a certain situation is always yeah. a good thing to do. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it's a good point to just leave it on that. I agree. I yeah, take take responsibility when you are hundred percent certain, but if you're not certain, reflect on it. Take your time. Ask outside. Do some inner learning. <laughs> This is yeah. how we summarize basically the end of every podcast. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's the overall message, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a hundred percent true. All right. Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed that one. And if you didn't, we take accountability, and we're sorry. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, on TikTok. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Share the podcast. It's still, the best way to grow a podcast is by word of mouth. So. Uh, anyone who you might think would benefit from a podcast like this, tell them about it. Tell them to subscribe. We will see you next time. Hope you had a good Easter. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.